You are listening to The Airing Cupboard, the podcast where the extraordinary stories of ordinary people get an airing. Phew, that's a mouthful. Hello and welcome back into The Airing Cupboard. I hope you have had a lovely two weeks. Here in the UK, some areas have seen the longest stretch of high temperatures since the 1960s. Needless to say, I am feeling snug and warm in my airing cupboard, although the boiler is of course mostly off at the moment. Thank you all for your wonderful stories that keep on coming. I am now working on a backlog, so please bear with me. I can't wait to voice each of them, each one wonderful and extraordinary. I'm actually now thinking that I will not end this series at its 15th episode as I had planned, but I might keep on going and keep things rolling, so stay tuned. Thank you also for all the reviews you wrote this week. In the UK, I am just six reviews short of the 100, and that excites me a lot. A bit sad? Yes, possible. And last but not least, huge thank you for all the sharing you have done, recommending the airing cupboard to your friends. It is so rewarding to see this little community grow. So on with our tale. This is Susan's story. Susan is in her mid-40s. She is beautiful, vibrant, witty, full of energy. She is married and her husband's job forces him to spend time between London and the north of England, working most of the week in London and having to go back to the north on Fridays. For a while, they both lived in a small village in the north of England. Although not being from there originally, she was accepted and couldn't do a step outside without bumping into someone she knew and without having a little chat. There was a true sense of community. But she was missing her husband, away in London most of the week. She works as a regional manager for a firm and at the time, as she was desperate to see more of him, she applied to be transferred to cover the London region. So she was excited at first. She thought this move to London would allow them to spend a lot more time together. But it wasn't to be. She saw very little of her husband. He was working long hours, every day. She knew no one in London and slowly became so very lonely, despondent, depressed. Big cities full of people can be the most lonely places. She wasn't equipped to deal with the numbing feeling of solitude. She had grown up in a close-knit family, two brothers, loving parents. I have um, I have two brothers and we've always been very fortunate that our parents have just really been amazing parents. They've loved us equally. But I can't deny that I have always been daddy's girl. Dad has always been my biggest protectorate, my biggest advocate, my supporter. You name it, he's always been my guardian angel. 
My parents have been married for six years and they absolutely love to travel. They <laughs> Seriously, they have wanderlust. But there were two destinations I'd always eluded them. For dad, it was the Taj Mahal in India and for mum, it was um, the cherry blossoms in Japan. In January of 2019, my parents embarked on a world cruise. And this cruise was to take in the two destinations that always eluded them. And I couldn't have been more happy for them. I really couldn't. And then um, two weeks later, I received a call. <sighs> and that call changed um changed my life. So two weeks later, Suzanne's mum called from Barbados. Her father had been medically disembarked from the ship with pneumonia and was in a clinic. Her brothers and herself flew out to Barbados and during the course of the week they were there, her father's health deteriorated. They medically evacuated him back to the UK but on admission to the hospital, they were told that the prognosis was not good. His heart was in a very poor condition. His brain had been starved of oxygen. He was transferred to a hospice and two weeks later, he died in Susan's and her mother's arms. And her world fell apart. Her rock, her best friend, her guardian angel was gone. Him that had always been looking out for her, protecting her, advising her. He was her protector, her friend. He was her dad. And she felt adrift, lost and lonely. Amid the grief and devastation and arranging for her father's funeral, her mother decided she wanted to rejoin the cruise so that she could lay her husband's ashes at the Taj Mahal, the one place he had always wanted to visit. She wanted to make sure he got there. She asked Susan to take her father's place on the cruise. Two days after the funeral, Suzanne and her mother arrived in Japan and rejoined the ship. Her mother got to see the blossom of Japan as she had always wanted. There were two months of the world cruise left, and whilst the destination were breathtaking, the grief and sadness was overwhelming. Her mother refused to interact with anyone but Suzanne. She wouldn't discuss her husband's death at all, and she spent the days at sea, sitting in the cabin, knitting and crying. She refused to go to the restaurant for dinner, and when she'd retire to bed at 9.30 in the evening, Suzanne would be left to wander the ship alone. And her grief, sneakily, grafted itself onto the solitude that she was suffering from already. And she was left with her own sadness 
having to face the overwhelming void in her life. The cruise was aimed at retirees, so Suzanne, being in her 40s, was younger than the other passenger by at least two decades. The other passengers were polite and courteous, but they did not welcome her into their friendship circles. She was very lonely and missed her husband desperately. The weeks dragged on and the sadness and loneliness did not abate for either her mother or herself. It had become unbearable. The night before they arrived in Singapore, she stood on the deck of the ship. Her face offered to the night breeze between the moon and the sea, and she took a decision. Enough was enough. Once they had laid her father's ashes at the Taj Mahal, they would abort their trip and leave the cruise in Mumbai to fly back to London. She emailed her family that night and asked them to start making the arrangements. She left her mother to settle for the night in the cabin and, somehow relieved to have taken a decision, she went for a drink at one of the bars. And then something happened. She was sat alone at a table, empty and exhausted by her inner turmoil. And she spotted a man and a woman standing at the bar. She had seen them around the ship a few times, also younger than most of the travellers. They weren't a couple, maybe just travel companions. The body language was obvious. He was handsome, possibly gay, very attractive in his energy, but he looked sad. Without having ever spoken to them, she had felt a kindship with them. They too always seemed to be alone, having also not been absorbed into a friendship circle. Realizing that she had nothing to lose and not being able to bear another night of wandering the ship alone, she approached them and asked if she could talk to them. And he looked at her, his blue eyes smiled behind his glasses and said, of course. And it was the very first time she had felt a lift in the loneliness since they had been on the ship. He was called Peter and the lady was his traveling companion. They had been friends for years. They chatted and laughed long into the night. There was something in Peter that attracted her instantly. Not in a romantic way, but something in his energy, his wit, his kindness, his big smile, his warmth. Almost a recognition, like when two long-lost friends cross paths again. It just clicked instantly. When she went to bed that night, in the dark of the cabin, listening to her mother's peaceful breathing, she laid awake, her eyes open, and she knew she was smiling. The very first true smile since arriving in Barbados all those weeks before, and it felt good. 
The next day, whilst they were on a tour around Singapore, a man on the trip began talking to her mum. He told her that he had lost his wife a few years before and this was the very first holiday without her. And all of a sudden, her mum began telling him about her husband. It was the very first time she had spoken about him to anyone but Suzanne since boarding the ship. And Suzanne sensed a shift. Not quite an acceptance that her father was gone, but an admission. When they returned to the ship, she asked her mother, as she did every night, if she wanted to go to the restaurant for dinner. Instead of the usual outright no, she hesitated. And it finally dawned on Susan. She did want to go to the restaurant, but she didn't want to go back to the table she had been assigned to previously, where she had been sitting with her husband, having to explain to other passengers sharing a table what had happened, why he wasn't there anymore, why Susan had taken his place on the ship. And so Susan ran down to the restaurant and the manager agreed to change the assigned sitting. That night, she proudly walked with her mother into the restaurant and they were led to their new table companions. As they reached the table, someone sitting there turned back and she recognized his big smile and blue eyes instantly. Peter, out of the two or three thousand passengers, it had to be him. They had a wonderful evening chatting and laughing. Even a mother took to him, just as she had the night before. There was something in Peter that was amazingly empathic, as if he had understood tacitly that they both needed rescuing. Or was it him that needed rescuing? There was an underlying sorrow there. Suzanne had seen a veil of sadness in his eyes but it would quickly pass and his wit and energy would take over. They had so much interest in common. It even transpired that Peter happened to live just around the corner from her in London, literally hundred steps from each other's. It was the very best night of the cruise and seeing her mother laugh at Peter's jokes made Suzanne's heart warm. From that moment, something lifted shifted. The grief was still there, but slowly Suzanne was taming it, learning how to live with it. And for the rest of the cruise, Peter and herself were inseparable. Her and her mother went to the restaurant every evening from then on, and as the weeks passed, she saw her mother laugh and smile more, but most especially at dinner with Peter. When they laid her father's ashes at the Taj Mahal. The pain was raw, but Peter was waiting for them when they got back to the ship to give them hugs, to find comfort and refuge in his friendly embrace. Since Singapore, they had had a wonderful time, so much so that she had told the family not to book the flight from Mumbai so that they could finish the cruise. When they returned home after the cruise, she introduced Peter to her husband and he took to him just as much as her mother had. And just as Peter has lifted her loneliness whilst on the cruise, 
he continued to do so when they returned home. And she was so happy to finally have a friend so close by. London was never the same again. Gone was that feeling of isolation, despondency, solitude. The friendship blossomed, and some months later, as they were sitting in the local pub in London, Suzanne asked him about the veil of sadness she had seen in his eyes when she had first met him. And Peter explained that he hadn't enjoyed the first part of the cruise. He had himself been through some very difficult times emotionally, his partner of many years, leaving him overnight, shattering his life and his heart. He also didn't feel like he fitted in with the other passengers on the ship. A feeling of loneliness had slowly taken hold of him. He was adrift, and as the days on the ship had turned into weeks, and the weeks into months, the feeling had intensified, and it had become unbearable. Looking into his pint and speaking softly, he added one more detail. The night just before the ship had reached Singapore, the night he had met Suzanne at the bar, he had stood on the deck of the ship, his face offered to the night breeze between the moon and the sea, and he had taken a decision. Enough was enough. He would abort his trip and leave the cruise in Mumbai to fly back to London. She looked up in disbelief. She shared with him that she had decided the very same thing on the very same night. And his blue eyes filled with love and recognition. At that moment, oblivious to the hustle and bustle of a weekday night in a London pub, surrounded by joyous drinkers, two friends are hugging, amazed by the beautiful conversions of their lives, comforted in their understanding that all is well, at its place, ordered as life in its magic mystery had intended it. Since that day, Suzanne has often wondered about the serendipity of that friendship, the gift of that connection given to her at a time when she needed it the most, at a time when the big man of her life, her father, had quietly and unassumingly taken the exit door, taking away with him his fatherly love, his support, his protection, leaving her in a vacuum facing a void. And as one door had shut, another had opened, and in had walked a friend, bringing with him his brotherly love, his support, his protection, wrapping her in connection, attachment, and amity. And she wonders, maybe, just maybe, 
her guardian angel is still somewhere looking out for her. Et voilà. I hope you have enjoyed Susan's story. I thank her a million for letting me voice it and for letting me use a clip of her voice, clip that she has recorded under her duvet, so that the sound would be good and intimate. So if you want to discuss this story, or if you are just interested in connecting with other air incubators, please join our private Facebook group. Just search for the air incubator. I am also on Twitter and Instagram under the air incubator. You will recognize the logo. So I wish you all a very good two weeks and until we meet again in the Aaron Cupboard. Goodbye.